Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Hi, everyone. I'd like to introduce Jennifer Clifford. She is joining us on the podcast today. Jennifer is a native Houstonian. She's a former foster parent turned adoptive and biological mom. She's also um, a project manager by trade, um, but now she stays home full time, um, helping to run their family businesses, raising their children and homeschooling um, their children as well. She also serves in various ministries that support foster care. So Jennifer, we're glad to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, let's start off. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, tell us a little bit about your family, um, your ministry. Just- yep. So um, my husband, Ryan, and I have been married for uh, almost 13 years. We have four children. Our oldest three, um, we have a daughter who's 13, um, and two sons that are seven and six. Um, the three of them, they are uh, biological siblings, and they were adopted from foster care. And then we have what we call our surprise baby, Um, our youngest. He's almost three, and he was uh, born in the midst of our foster and adoptive journey. So, Super fun. Yeah. (laughs) Not your conventional uh, becoming a mom scenario, right? Right. Um, Both stepping into foster care, considering adoption, and then a biological baby that pops in right in the middle. Yes. Um, what is, we usually do this at the end of the podcast, but I want to start off with it. What is your why? Why did you originally step into, um, a foster care journey? Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So when my husband and I were dating, um, one of the things that we had talked about, um, that we both felt very passionate about was adoption. Uh, we both wanted to adopt and wanted that to be, um, a part of our, um, story and growing our family. Um, we obviously did not have any idea what that really looks no like. No one ever does, really? No. no. So after many years of infertility in 2017, we um, sought out help from a fertility specialist. Okay. Uh, after um, many rounds of fertility treatments, um, it nothing was successful. And so we... Um, uh, really had to sit down and look at each other and say, um, it's not working. Uh, what are the next steps? And before we had um, sought out fertility treatments, we had actually attended a foster care informational session through an agency. Okay. Um, my husband uh, went reluctantly um, when I told him that, um, you know, we, we had talked about adoption and that's something yeah. that we really wanted to, uh, to both do. Um, foster care was not his idea of that. Scary. Um, yes. Very scary. We hear the same things a lot. Yes. Yeah. And so he would, he will absolutely tell everybody that, um, you know, I don't want to sign up. I didn't want to sign up for that heartache. Yeah. Um, you know, children are placed in your home, you care for them, you love them, and then they're taken away from you. And I think that's a lot of the mentality mm-hmm. um, that people have about foster care. And so um, we went to that informational session and they gave us a lot of um, different statistics about yeah. kids in care, um, how many are reunified, how many um, go to family members. Um, and um, that really changed my husband's mindset. Yeah. And so at the end of our um, infertility journey, um, 
we came to the conclusion that um, we felt like God was closing one door and opening another door for us to start looking at foster care. Okay. What changed it for your husband? Just the the data? Was it kind of the data that was helpful to wrap his mind around it? Or was there was there anything in particular that really kind of shifted for him? I think it was a lot of the data, okay. um, especially around um, how many siblings mm, are yeah. in the foster care system. And that's one of the things that we really felt um, was important in uh, in our journey as we were um, getting licensed. And as we talked about um, what types of placements we would be willing to accept, sibling groups were always a part of that equation. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting as you step in, you just don't really know what you're doing. You don't know what you're looking for. You're just gaining information. But it's interesting to know that as you're stepping into it, you just knew siblings are going to be a part of this. Right. And that's kind of what we're just going to say yes to. Yeah. Um, so describe for us a little bit. We get questions around what is the licensing process? What does that even look like? Can you share a little bit about what that journey was like for you through the, just getting licensed and starting to take placements? Yeah. So we, um, in January of 2018, submitted our um, initial paperwork and application through an agency um, to become licensed foster mm -hmm. parents. We attended training classes in February. Okay. Um, we did our home study in March. We Doing were it quickly. licensed in April and we had our first placement by May. Wow. So um, for us, the process moved very quickly, but we were very motivated to move through the process mm -hmm. because we felt like this was the door that God was really... Yeah. Um, opening for us and pushing us through. Yeah. And so um, the licensing process, um, it was fairly straightforward. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of paperwork, um, lots of keeping up with paperwork and yeah. what you've submitted and what you haven't submitted. And um, we had a lot of, um, uh, a lot of the agency would contact and say, oh, we need this again, or we need this right. again. And so it's just a lot of moving parts that you have to keep track of. And so being organized and staying organized was really important for us. Um, but I think um, also you m kind of move through the process as fast as you want mm -hmm. to. And because we were motivated, I wasn't, um, we were of the mindset that we weren't going to um, we weren't going to be the ones that were um, waiting. Yeah, um, th They were waiting on us for right. a submittal of paperwork or anything. So when okay. they asked for something, we immediately took care of it and did it. And so I think that's why we okay. moved through the process so quickly. Yeah. I could imagine taking that step and moving forward while also still probably experiencing some grief over infertility. Mm -hmm. How did you, and it's probably more personal, so feel free to just say, I don't want to answer it. Um, but can you speak a little bit to just how how you grieved and also anticipated at the same time? I know a lot of families that we interact with come to us saying we've been struggling with infertility mm -hmm. and now we're considering foster care. Um, is there anything that you would would say um, about your journey that was helpful? Yeah, I would. There was some grief um, that I did experience. Um, you know, we were we didn't experience the grief of um, a loss of pregnancy. So miscarriage was never something that we experienced. We were just never able to conceive. Yeah. And so um, there there was a um, grieving process that I had to kind of come to. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm a woman and, you know, I, I want to be a mom and I want to be yeah. able to conceive and carry a child. And um, I think because we were so, it was, um, it was very clear to us that mm -hmm. that door closed and this door was 
blown wide open and we were moving through the process yeah. so quickly, it kind of took our mind off of mm-hmm. um, off of that um, that grief process, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it's not so much. I don't know that there's ever a situation where you're like, okay, now grief is done. Yes, and no. now we're moving forward. Like it's it's just not that straightforward. Yes, so right. I'm sure it's a blend of yes. of the two, and it comes up in different ways for sure. Well, tell us a little bit about placement. So you're going through the process. Door finally opens for taking a kid in. Um, what did that journey look like for you? So we um, went through. Um, our agency was really good about talking with us about. Um, you know, the parameters in which we uh, would be open to. And so we decided um, early on that sibling groups were absolutely something we wanted to, um, we wanted to be open to. Mm -hmm. Um, Gender was not a, not a factor. Um, And um, age, we um, ended up deciding early on that zero to seven years was going to be our age range. Um, And later on, we did change that, um, which then pave the path for other things to happen and other children to be placed with us. Yeah. So um, it was just a matter of we kind of had to sit down and say like, what are, what are we capable of doing and what are we equipped to handle? Mm-hmm. And even beyond that is like, what does our support system look like? Um, and what are the things that we could handle utilizing that support system? Yeah. Knowing nothing about the process or having never done it before, really, you know, I'm having to make those decisions on like, I think that we're capable for this, but we don't know. You're not really you don't sure. Know. You're yes. just thinking, yeah, never being a parent yet. Uh, and even then, um, you're still, I think during training classes, they try and prepare you mm-hmm. for all the things, but you're really drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And There's so much information. There really is. And I, it's not until you're in the midst of the placement that you're like, oh yeah, they did talk about this in training. I think I need to go back and refresh my memory on, yeah. you know, what we're experiencing here or what this is. And so um, there is a lot of that. We see that a lot with um, the trauma training that you go mm-hmm. through, right? I remember going through, you know, you see Karen Purvis up on the screen and she's telling you all these things and her really lovely and warm voice. And you're like, this is all really good, but you have no context for it. There's right. no child in your home. And then when a child is placed and you start seeing some of these behaviors or things, you're like, oh, yeah, I think we learned some of right. that. But now you have context for the information that you were just yeah. trying to. That's right. Yeah. So what was the first placement like? How did, I'm sure your world just turned upside down. It sure did. <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? What happened um, there? So we got the call um, for um, our first placement in the um, afternoon on a weekday. Okay. And it was an emergency placement of a four-year-old little girl and a two-year-old little boy. Um, and we um, quickly realized um, we had no idea what we were doing. Uh, parenting nor foster parenting. Um, but we, um, we were very blessed even before we became licensed. Um, I was invited to a local foster and adoptive support group. Um, that was very, um, very rich, very deep in knowledge. There were lots of ladies that had walked this journey and it was very, very helpful that we were already plugged in and we were already connected. We knew all of the local resources, where the closets were, mm-hmm. um, where where to go for what, um, what questions to ask, um, what to be a part of. Um, and so that first placement, um, it was definitely um, eye-opening because um, we went into 
the placement thinking, um, you know, foster care was our means to grow our family. Sure. And we very, very quickly realized um, that that was absolutely the wrong um, way in thinking. And it really um, made us think, um, it changed our mindset to um, really, it's giving your family um, to a child, not getting a child for your family, but giving your family to a child for as long as they need. Mm. And so um, there were all, it was, there were a lot of ups and downs um, during that first placement. Um, the kids um, were very blessed to have a lot of family members um, that were coming forward. Um, some of them backed out in the end. Um, but um, we were that uh, caseworker um, was still very adamant that um, we were the permanent placement for these children. And I think we, held on to that a little bit tighter than we probably should have. Um, because as we were, yeah, as we were coming, um, to one of their permanency, permanency hearings, um, they had actually placed, um, these children as a legal risk placement in our home. And so legal risk is, um, basically more than likely parental rights Mm -hmm. will be terminated and they are looking for, um, an adoptive placement for these children. And so, um, so going into uh, the next week's court date, we were very, um, uh, very sure that these yeah. children were not well, going anywhere. Yeah. And um, in the end, um, we went to court and um, it was an interest. It was a very interesting day because the judge actually was not hearing any cases in the public mm-hmm. forum of the courtroom, which typically happens, is actually hearing all of the cases in chambers. Mm -hmm. And so because we weren't a party to the case, we didn't um, get to go back there and hear what was going on. Mm. And so, yeah. And so a family member did end up intervening um, and uh, the um, caseworker was very sure that it was not even an option. Um, But I remember we were the very last court case of the day. So we had been there all day and Ryan had left to go to the bathroom. So I was sitting in the courtroom literally by myself. And that um, the kid's child advocate walks out of the back room and I could just see on her face um, that Mm. something was not right. And she, the first word she said to me was like, I'm sorry. And um, then she proceeded to tell me that um, the judge um, has uh, said that um, the kids need to be placed with this family member by the end of the week. Okay. Grief upon grief. It's very heartbreaking, very heartbreaking yeah. um, because you go into something like that with a set expectation and then, um, you know, something else happens that is not. Uh, you realize you don't have as much control. Not at all. And that, and I think that is absolutely one thing we learned um, with the, with our first placement is that there is, you just have to learn to um kind of navigate things um, as they come. And uh, what one person says is not very, is very well, not what um, is going to happen. And sometimes it's well-meaning, you know, it's based on the information that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And there were no significant concerns with this, um, this family member, like no safety concerns or anything like that. Um, We were, um, when we, um, went home after court um, was very yeah, difficult because sure. we were packing all their things. They had been with us for almost six months. 
um, packing all their things and saying goodbyes and explaining to them where they were going. Um, thankfully, they had a um, uh, had a relationship with this family member. Okay. Um, and so they knew where they were going. They knew where they were going to be living. Okay. Um, and so there was a lot of comfort in that. And so I made sure when we were packing their things that we were including um, all of their favorite things. Um, we were including... We sent tons of pictures with them of all the things that we had done, gone to the beach, zoo, visits. Um, We also, I also wrote a um, very, very long and detailed letter to their family member about all the things um, because she, they hadn't been living Mm -hmm. with her. Um, And so all of the routines, all of the things that they um, were used to, the foods that they liked, um, you know, potty training things that we were doing. And so I wanted to make sure that she was fully prepared and fully equipped to kind of, to kind of just jump in where, you know, where we were leaving off. Yeah. So. I assume, what were you thinking in that process? You kind of shared on the logistical side, but what were you, what were you and your husband just processing in that? Were you, was it even a question of like, I don't know if we want to do this anymore. Or were you yeah. ready for the next placement? How did, how were you feeling? Um. Gosh, I, I don't think I really um, understood the grief that we would experience mm-hmm. um, on all different levels becoming foster parents because it, it's not just this one particular moment we were grieving. Um, you grieve in all sorts of ways. You know, yeah. you're you, when the kids were first placed with us, um, they were very attached mm-hmm. with their birth parents. And there were nights when our foster daughter would cry for hours and hours for her mommy. There was grief there. Mm -hmm. There was grief for her, for the loss she was experiencing. And then there was the other side of it. You had to think about their birth parents and the the grief that they were experiencing. Just because they were making Mm -hmm. poor decisions doesn't mean they didn't care and love Mm -hmm. their children. And so now coming into this um, this loss that we were experiencing, there it was really difficult, yeah. um, not just for us, but you know we signed up for this. Mm-hmm. Um, our family was very committed and very supportive of us our entire journey. Yeah, and they cared and loved for these kids like they had always been a part of our family. And I think that was probably one of the most difficult things to process through, yeah. it's because we willingly walked into this knowing what we were getting into, we kind of just drug them along and they were experiencing um, the grief of losing them too and having to say goodbye. So that was really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Coming out of that after they left, we um, really did have to have a lot of really hard conversations to say like, is this for us? Mm -hmm. And I think coming out of that placement, realizing that we had gone in with very misaligned expectations Mm -hmm. and that we wanted to grow our family in this, that really wasn't what it should have been. You start to see more, you see it from other people's perspectives. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And so we sat down and we talked about it and we were very sure that we wanted to continue on our Mm -hmm. fostering journey, whatever that ended up looking like. Your hands are more open at this point, maybe a little bit. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about in church leader trainings with the congregations that we um, that we train to step into this space, um, Jason Johnson talks about um, how there's kind of those surface fears that mm. people say when when they're considering becoming foster parents, and then there's that kind of root fear that 
we're really talking about but not talking about. And sometimes with regard to grief, what we hear all the time is, I don't think I can, you know, I, I don't want to risk losing these kids. I don't mm. think I can do that because the kids might get taken away. It's, I'm afraid I'm going to get too attached. And that's kind of where we hang out in terms yeah. of um, that question. But really what people are saying is, I don't know if I have what it takes to grieve like that. Right. And that's a totally different question. It's related, but it's a deeper question that we have to walk through um, because we're all going to go through grief at different times right. in our lives. But would we sign up for that type of grief? Um, and would we allow ourselves to feel those things in all those directions that you talked about um, and allow you know, the Lord to, to move us through that and grow us in that yeah. way. That's a scary thing to it say really yes is. to, yeah. but that's what we talk about when we say yes to stepping into this. It's saying yes to a kid. It's also saying yes to potential grief and heartache that he is going to be faithful to pull us yeah. through. Yeah. That's so much. That's so hard. It is. And I think, um, you know, I think that there is like extreme joy you experience in, yeah. in foster parenting then there's the other side of it that's like extreme heartache, but you get both of those things, mm -hmm. you know, there's blessing yeah. and there's joy to be found in um, seeing these kids grow and thrive. And, um, at, but then there's the heartache side of it that mm -hmm. um, of all of the various things that you are um, broken over. Yeah. It's the things that matter are hard situation, yeah. you know, it's mm -hmm. the hardest things, but they really do matter at the root. Well, what happened after that? Tell me a little bit about uh, you decided to step back in. Um, where did the journey go after that? So a couple weeks after our first placement left, we got a call for another sibling group. Okay. Uh, two kids. Um, they were with us um, for less than a week. Okay. Um, and then they were placed with um, an aunt and an uncle out of town. A couple weeks after that, we got another call for um, three girls under the age of three. Wow. So that was Throwing very you into fun. the deep end. Yes. Yes. Um, and that was a whole journey and experience. They were with us through Thanksgiving and Christmas. So it was a very sweet time for us and them and our family getting to experience holidays with them. Um, and then they were placed with um, a great grandparent um, in February. Okay. And then a couple weeks after that, um, Revolving we, door. yes, we got the call for our boys. Okay. So that's where that journey started. Okay. Tell me about that. Okay. So we were told by our agency very clearly that they would never call us on weekends, nor would they call us late at night. Okay. So here we are on a Sunday night, um, probably eight or nine o'clock at night. Uh, we are um, just uh, enjoying a nice glass of wine and a cheese plate and my phone rings and it's our agency and they ask if we uh, would be open to placement an emergency placement of two toddler boys okay. um, a two-year-old and a three-year-old and so we immediately said yes and we jumped into action um, now we had just had a placement of girls so we only had girl things <laughs> Um, and and the boys did play with those girl things for a couple of weeks before we transitioned <laughs> to all boy things. Um, but we did, um, you know, we we every placement that we had, we kind of um, we had we always had a plan. Mm -hmm. um, one of us would ready the house while the other one of us would go out and get last minute things. And so when you get that call, you're trying you're you're getting the call from your agency, and then they're like, hey, just wait you'll get a call from the caseworker. And then that's when you ask all the questions you can. And sometimes 
the answers you get to, uh, from the, for those questions are not the correct things. So our um, our process would be we'd get the call from the caseworker. We'd make a list of, you know, are they in diapers? Are they potty training? Um, do you know what they like to eat? What yeah. clothing sizes are they in? All of those different types mm-hmm. of things. And then one of us would rent the store and buy really a range. Like we would do like four different sizes um, of clothes just to get us through the next couple of days mm-hmm. because we all, I always knew the next day or even that night I could reach out to one of our local closets and say, we just got a placement. Yeah. Here are the ages, here are the sizes and here's the things that we need. And the, the people that run those closets would go and collect all of the things mm-hmm. and we could always go within the next few days and pick up what we right. needed, yeah. which was very, very helpful. And so, yeah, we got the call for the boys and that's, um, you know, where that journey started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what were the placements like after that? So at this point, you're, is the mindset totally different? Are you thinking they're probably going to leave? They're probably going to leave. They're probably going to leave. Or are you able to kind of, how are you balancing that after going through reunification multiple times mm-hmm. or family member multiple times? What was your mindset at that point? Is it? Our mindset definitely was, um, we're going to care for these kids for as however long they're with us. Okay. Um, very early on, um, they're with the boys there. Um, we found out that there were grandparents that were pretty close to where we live that um, were very interested in taking placement. And so um, we actually had an opportunity to meet them um, mm-hmm. uh, at a parent visitation where the parents um didn't show, but the grandparents did. Okay. And so our child advocate called us and asked us if we would be okay meeting at the park. And it was around Easter. And so um, if we could do an Easter egg hunt with their grandparents and the boys. Okay. And a couple of days after that, I got a call from the caseworker saying that the grandparents did not feel um, like they wanted to move forward with taking placement, that they felt the best place for these boys mm. was with us. Okay. Um, and so it that was hard to kind of balance mm-hmm. because there was this, you know, we're going to care for these boys for as long as they're going to be here. But then also at the same time, you know, you're getting all these things fed to you from um, caseworkers and family members and all of this saying, you know, like, oh, they're going to stay with you guys mm-hmm. and the way the case direction is going. But really, it, it is like it, it, it's not final until it's actually final. Right. That is what we have learned. Just, that's so much uncertainty. You're trying to... Yeah plan for the future. You're trying to wrap your mind around your heart around what this could look like. And you always kind of have to have that open hand. Yes. It's not easy. No, it's really not. So, so what happened after that? How did it move forward? So, um, very shortly after, um, we, um, were placed with the boys, we found out that there were multiple siblings. Okay. Um, and a couple of them had, um, already years before been adopted, through foster care, um, they had a younger sister um, who was with a, a paternal grandmother, and then they had an older sister. We found out about um, at the time she was um, with her great grandparents, um, but she had also lived with her grandparents. She had lived with her um, her mm-hmm. birth mom for a time with the boys. Um, she had lived with a maternal grandmother, and so she there was a lot of move, movement for her in her life. And so um, we had an opportunity to have a sibling visit um, and a grandparent visit at the park near our house. 
with the boys and with her mm-hmm. um, and met her for the first time. And um, she was nine at the time. Um, very sweet, very sassy. Um, and I will never forget, um, we were, um, it was just her and I, and we were watching the boys play on the playground. And she asked me, um, can I call you mom? Mm. And I said, well, um, that's complicated. <laughs> I said, well, here are some other options. Mm. You can call me whatever you feel comfortable calling me, but here's some other options for you too. And, and you know, Miss Jenny is what the boys called me and when they were first placed with us. And she's just thought about it for a few minutes. She's like, no, I think I'm going to call you mom because that's what my brothers call you. Mm. And that was really um, very hard to process because she had, it's really what she wanted. She wanted, you know, she wanted a mom. She wanted a dad. She wanted to be in the family. And so um, walking away from that, it was really, it was really difficult to be like, oh gosh, we're walking away from this. What is this? What does this look like for her? And I didn't want to fill her with any, you know, misguided hope or mm-hmm. what, because we were very early on in the, in the boy's case, we had no idea where the, where it was going. And so we didn't want to fill her with anything that, um, you know, could potentially, you know, um, cause her heartache too. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we maintained a relationship with her. She moved, um, from her great grandparents to her grandparents house to be closer to the boys so we could have more often visits mm-hmm. Um, we found out that she did have some dental needs that needed to be taken care of, and they were pretty serious. She didn't have insurance at the time, so we contacted the boys' caseworker and asked if there would be any issue with us taking her somewhere just to get her assessed and potentially like paying for mm-hmm. what she needed because some of the things that she was experiencing there was just very painful stuff. And so we did that over the summer. Um, and was she then, in foster care at this point? She was not in foster care at this point. And so um, in um, August, we got a frantic phone call from her grandparents um, saying that somebody had um, contacted a CPS and um, they were opening an investigation mm-hmm. on them. Um, we had never had really any concerns of um, anybody caring for um, for her I, it just wasn't a thought in our mind. So this kind of came out of left field, um, but it was, it, it opened the door for her to come into the system and her to eventually be placed with us. Mm. And so as they're navigating this investigation journey, they were very committed in the beginning to caring for, um, for sister and um, uh, parenting her. And we told them we would come alongside them with whatever they needed. Um, we would, mm-hmm. you know, they come see the boys whenever they wanted. And so, so we, the grandparents had called us and we ended up um, having the boy's sister um, over for the weekend. Uh, her grandparents were going out of town for a job and we cleared it with a caseworker, cleared it with the investigator. Um, they said it was fine. So she um, joined us for the weekend. And um, we took her back on Sunday evening. And later on that week, I get a call from her grandparents asking if I can come meet them. Mm. So I went to go meet them. And they said um, uh, she had been, um, she came back, had a great weekend, but was moping around all week. And they couldn't get it out of her what was going on. 
So finally, near the end of the week, she told them she didn't want to hurt their feelings, but she really wanted to live with her brothers and with us. And so um, I had had a couple conversations with various family members specifically about her. But again, I reminded them that, you know, we were licensed and we had a license to uphold and we couldn't just take her. And so um, the best course of action for them was to contact the investigator and let her know what their wishes were. Um, I was very shocked when I was on my way home about 30 minutes later when I got a call from the investigator and they um, said, would it be okay if we placed her with you guys tonight? Oh, wow. Yes. So it happened very quickly. I was thinking, you know, one week, two weeks, something like that. No, um, no, it was, we're going to go, we're going to go ahead and make the move tonight. So that's how she joined our family. Okay. And then what happened? And then um, a few weeks later, I had been battling um, a terrible stomach virus. And for some reason, I just couldn't shake it. And the thought never crossed my mind um, that pregnancy was part of that. Um, But I ended up taking a pregnancy test and it was positive. And so in the midst of um, fostering our um, three children, um, we found out we were pregnant for the very first time. And so, after years of infertility. Yes, after years of infertility. What was the timing there? So how long did that happen after she came to your home? So the boys had been with us for about six months. Okay. Then she joined our family. And then about five weeks later, we found out we were pregnant. Okay. And how did you? Uh, it was a shock. It was, um, it was a oh shock. It was um, very unexpected. And I had really, um, once we kind of knew where the direction, at this point, we knew where the direction of all of their cases were going. And I had gone through my own grieving process of not like, okay, I think I'm okay with three children. It's more than enough. (laughs) I think I'm okay with not ever being pregnant. I think I'm okay with that. And it was... It was, I think I grieved that. And then here we are, surprise, pregnant. Like, okay, this is how it's going to go. So in the midst of all of that, um, you know, we, um, so we fast forward to February and the boys um, uh, case goes to final trial and parental rights are terminated. And then um, their sister's case, um, they, uh, she had a permanency hearing in March And um, going into that, um, her ad litem had contacted me and said that because of the decision made at the boys' trial, that they were going to be pushing for final trial to be moved up for her. And so we went to court. They asked us to testify. The judge asked us, um, you know, what were our intentions? Did we want to adopt all three? And we said, absolutely, 100% Mm. yes. And um, they they the judge made the decision that day that they were going to pick the very earliest date they could mm-hmm. um for uh, to do final trial and that was april 1st um, okay. and we left court very excited and we went on an awesome spring ba- break vacation um camping in arkansas and then we came back and everything was shut down because of covid oh, okay yeah throw that into the yes so this is in, <laughs> this was in 2020 um in so in the midst of all of this we were thinking there's no way they're going to have her have final trial uh, this is just going to be a mess mm-hmm. and 
thankfully, um, they um, in Montgomery County, um, her case was one of the first cases that they did final trial over Zoom. Okay, so they did go through um, with final trial, and they did um, terminate parental rights. Okay, which then paved the path Issue. for her to be adopted with her brothers, which okay. is what we wanted. And so um, we ended. Up, oh, excuse me. We ended up having um, uh, delivering um, uh, our youngest um, July nineteenth. And then when we were um, in the hospital, uh, we got an email from our adoption um, adoption attorney with dates for um, adoption. And we ended up adopting our three oldest on July 31st. Same so, month. Same month. Just within a few days. Adopted three, <laughs> gave birth to one. Yes. All in one month. Yes. Okay. And that's where we are now. That is where we are now. Okay. Yep. That's awesome. Gosh, there's so many questions that I could sit here forever um, to ask you, um, but I think I want to end with just this last one. The We often get a lot of interest emails from people saying, hey, we're considering becoming foster parents. Um, we just, we're not sure. We don't want to step into an agency because they kind of rope you in a little bit and they, yeah. you know, um, they want you to start the process as soon as possible. And if you're just exploring I just don't know. And so I'll usually grab coffee or, you know, have a phone call with somebody, somebody, send them a perspective resource guide, mm-hmm. um, try to answer their questions and kind of move them through the process. Um, what would you say if you were sitting down to coffee with somebody who was just at that very beginning, maybe where you were, maybe experiencing infertility, maybe not, but just at that very beginning spot, what would you say they should be either thinking through or what would you say to prepare for? I think the um the greatest blessing for us in our journey is that we got plugged into a support group very early on in the licensing process. Yeah. And so that was very helpful to talk to other people and even witness yeah. what other people were experiencing and what they were going through and ask all the questions and um, you know, have all the conversations and build relationships as we were moving through the licensing process. So I think um, finding a local support group, understanding where um, where even your local resources are mm-hmm. that you can get the initial information from. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very helpful. Yeah. That so, relationships. Yeah. Building relationships with people who have gone before. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and your agency, um, choosing your agency is a big decision. Mm-hmm. And being a part of that support group allowed us to ask questions about different agencies and what people didn't like and what they did like and what was their worst experience with their agency and what was their best experience with their agency and processes. And um, because yes, they all have to follow the same licensing standards and Mm -hmm. all that, but not all of them operate the same. Not all of them operate, have the same um, rules that they follow. Um, Some agencies are a lot more, um, stringent on the placements they'll um, place with families. Mm-hmm. Um, some um, agencies are like, you want to take six kids? Here you go. You know, so yeah. you have to really, um, the agency's interviewing you. You have to do mm-hmm. just as much interviewing of the agency because you want to make sure it's a good match right. because they're, they are there to advocate for you as a foster family too. Mm-hmm. And, and you need that. You need a good partnership with your agency. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for 
just the journey that you have been on um, for continuing on for processing all of that um, and just being open to it. I think it's really easy to to step into those hard moments where it just gets a little bit almost unbearable and then to just take another step and trust that there's something better coming. Um, it's been truly a privilege to see and to hear about. I know we were connected on those early days and you're like, how, how do I manage this? And it was just one step in, in front of the other. So I'm grateful for you. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. Thank you very yeah. much for having me. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.